guys, welcome back to the show and thank you so much for tuning in. If it's your first time here, my name is Lauren and this is Liam. Hello. And we have a bit of a mixed bag show today. We got some fun topics, some not so fun, pretty dang serious Which topics. Which is a little bit better than usual, I think. Typically we get a lot of those serious topics in a row. Yeah, that's so. Hopefully with this show, yeah. you at least get some reprieve, something that can make you chuckle a little bit. But first off, something pretty dang serious. California is allegedly enacting some new laws to, it seems, protect teen molesters who are same sex it's it's a bit confusing but we're going to try to lay things out for you then there's another white person out there who's just been outed as pretending to be black for like her entire career it seems it's a weird trend we're seeing among the progressive left but then we go over the very serious case of the he says he's not an Antifa member, but anti-fascist sympathizer who killed a Trump supporter and has now been killed by police himself. We're going to be going through the whole case with you guys. And then finally, John Boyega, who starred as Finn in the Disney Star Wars trilogy, he is now out and kind of bad-mouthing Disney in the way that they handled his black character. We're going to be going through that all. Uh, before we get to it, though, I do want to remind you all that if you're enjoying this show, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe. It helps us out a ton. We don't really get much love from the social media companies. Yeah. I wonder why. We're just here talking about pedophiles and murder. What's not to love? <laughs> but seriously, that stuff helped us out a ton. Yeah. The algorithm really uh, has been uh, after us lately. So. Yes. <laughs> Very much so. Uh, those likes, those subscribes, they make a huge difference. Also, hit the bell button and have all notifications on. Um, otherwise, you might not get notified. Yeah. Um, so please do that. It really does help the show, even if it's not a, a you know a monetary thing by joining Blaze or anything like that. For sure. And if you did want to uh, keep up with what we're doing with the show, if there's any updates, be sure to follow us on social media. I'm at the Lauren Chen and he's at the Liam Donovan on Twitter just for any updates in case you're interested with that. Okay, so we have this tweet that kind of went viral on social media because it's shocking what it says. This is from Bill Mel Melugin. I'm definitely butchering that apologies bill, but he put out last night, the California state legislature passed SB 145 and it now goes to Governor Newsom. It would lower the penalties for adults who have sex with willing same-sex minors. Judge could decide if adult has to register as sex offender if the offender is within 10 years of the age of the victim. Okay, so the first thing that people wanted to note was a little bit of a, a misnomer, right? The idea of willing same-sex minors, right? Yeah. You can't really, I mean, that that's the whole point of the concept of statutory rape is that if you're under the age of consent, you cannot consent and therefore cannot be willing. Yeah, it's weird because they imply that, I guess, homosexual minors have the ability to consent when heterosexual ones don't. Right. It's strange. It's like it's almost like meta homophobia. <laughs> right. Where they're like, this is this this like kind of ebophile, pedophile is part of the, the homosexual community. It'd be homophobic to... To discriminate to against them. It's their way as a culture, as a community, right? Yeah. No, it is pretty bad. And a lot of people were understandably pretty upset with this because it sounds like we are kind of enabling these child or teen predators. Um, but we kind of have a... An article here that goes a little bit more in depth into what the bill would actually do. And it's not as bad as I think a lot of people were thinking with that tweet, but it's also not great. And I think mm -hmm. a, a theme we've seen over the past decade or so is that anything to do with um, child predators or the age of consent for young teens, it's always going one specific way, mm -hmm. right? It seems like we're never really enacting more protections for children or harsher punishments for pedophiles or what is that word? Ebophiles, where it's 
preteens or young teens, not children. Listen, I'm on it. It's yeah. I think it's. I think there's it's a difference though. Like technically, post puberty or something yeah. like that is I think what it is. But, but yeah, as a culture, it seems like we're always being more willing to indulge them versus the opposite. Yeah, I mean, we've said it before on the show, uh, and it's a little bit cliche, but, you know, people consider the slippery slope argument a fallacy. This is really a case of the slippery slope of, you know, slowly chipping away. Right now, this bill isn't going as far as some headlines may have led you to believe. Right. Um, But it is, like we said, removing some of the protections uh, for some minors, and it's just going to continue to trend in that direction over time until we're in a state that we would have thought is previously unthinkable right where it's just like 10 years old have at it and that sounds disgusting and you that could never happen i mean it's it's like the analogy of the frog in the boiling water right if you were to chuck him in immediately he'd jump out but if you turn up the temperature slowly they get used to it and i think as a culture that's what's happening to us right now but we have this article from the SF Examiner, I think that's San Francisco, says Wiener legislation seeks to end blatant discrimination in sex offender laws. It's called that because Senator Scott Wiener <laughs> introduced it, just, mm. just so we're clear. So it says a new state bill introduced by Senator Scott Wiener, who is a Democrat, shocking, could possibly change the way young offenders, specifically those who identify as LGBT, are put on the state's sex offender registry list, Wiener's office announced Tuesday. Currently, while consensual sex between 15 to 17 year olds and a partner within 10 years of age is illegal, vaginal intercourse between the two does not require an offender to register as a sex offender. Other forms of intercourse, such as oral and anal intercourse, require sex offender registration. A little bit to unpack here. Again, I take issue with the idea that consensual sex between a 15-year-old and anybody can happen, right? Because that defeats the purpose of statutory rape. And I know we maybe have some, I think, European viewers who say, well, in our country, it's like 14. And I think maybe in parts of Mexico, I've heard that the... 12. Yeah. But it's like there are a lot of laws and stipulations around exactly what that is. And I think there are Romeo and Juliet laws where it says you could only be two years older or something like that. But no, I actually, I still maintain that no, an adult cannot have consensual sex with a 15-year-old. I am happy with the age of consent being 18. I think that's right, of course, with Romeo and Juliet laws in place for, you know, a 16-year-old and a 19-year-old or things like that. But yeah, I just have a big problem with the way the story is being framed by the press. It's kind of like when they talk about um, female teachers having sex with underage students. It's like, no, no, no. The word you're looking for is raped. They raped the students. Yeah. yeah. Um, So, yeah, basically, there's a difference here in how the law treats vaginal intercourse versus oral and anal intercourse when it comes to registering as a sex offender. I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't know how you feel about it. It seems pretty arbitrary. I don't really know what's going on in this guy's mind. I also want to bring up on a side note an interesting little tidbit is that we've covered some legislation uh, by this guy in the past because Senator Scott Wiener also co-authored Senate Bill um 239 then that's the one that lowered the penalty for um knowingly knowingly exposing somebody to hiv uh without disclosing it to them which used to be a uh, a felony i believe Yeah. yeah so this guy just seems like a ray of sunshine just campaigning for all the right and just causes. No, he he seems like a real creep. But the practice, according to Wiener, disproportionately targets LGBT people who usually cannot engage in vaginal intercourse. And Senate Bill 145 would put an end to, quote, blatant discrimination against young LGBT people engaged in consensual activity, Wiener said in a statement. So again, no, this is not consensual, right? Because we're talking about people who are underage. But also, I would actually agree that there is a kind of 
lack of equality in the way the law is being applied. Personally, I don't think, oh, well, it was vaginal versus this other type. You know what? You're fine. Or actually, it's worse. But in my opinion, the way to remedy that would be to make them all register on the sex offender list, right? Like, if you want things to be equal, let's in enforce harsher penalties across the board rather than removing them, which I think is what this guy is trying to do. It says, in cases involving vaginal intercourse, a judge will typically decide based on the facts of the case whether registration is warranted, whereas in the other cases, sex offender registration is mandatory. Always make it mandatory then. How about that? Equal, yeah, I, fair. I have no problems with draconian punishment for this kind of crime. No, me neither. According to Wiener, SB 145 would not change the legality of the forms of intercourse and would not change the potential sentence for having sex with an underage person. Again, there's a word for that and it's not sex. Instead, the bill would give judges the ability to evaluate whether the accused be required to register as a sex offender. Additionally, Wiener's office added that if passed, and this is what I thought was really interesting, SB 145 would overturn a 2015 California Supreme Court ruling, which decided that since vaginal intercourse can result in pregnancy while non-vaginal sex cannot, it is not discriminatory to treat those offenses differently and with harsher penalties. So that's really interesting. And I think that, I mean, I guess that is kind of true like the consequences for vaginal intercourse are potentially very different for the victim because they can be pregnant from that so i don't know how that should factor into the law yeah i don't know i i, I don't know for this kind of crime that the consequences being being a child should really be factored in you're still right. severely damaging a human being right uh, i i i i don't even think i would i would consider that but I, I i'm considering it in the way that if the person got pregnant or if the child got pregnant, I would say the punishment should be even worse for the person in question. I don't know, because I'm willing to take it like maximum punishment all Already, the way across yeah, the board. That's true. So I, I don't know how we would even escalate what I have in mind. That's, <laughs> right? the, that's the issue. I don't know. Yeah, that's fair. But I do wonder, this person, the senator is obviously, he considers himself an advocate for LGBT causes, but we're getting very technical with body parts here, what's vaginal and what's, you know, all of these things. I wonder how that plays into things with like trans men and trans women or like, you know, the way mm. that people identify if they can identify as being gender fluid, will that count as a? I'm just, I'm just curious because in California, whereas this is where the state laws is being discussed, you know, you would have these people and it would come up a lot faster than in any other state. So I, I don't know how the court system is going to handle this in the future. Good luck, California. You're just, you're a dumpster fire all around lately. But I did want to bring in another story in regard to this, because speaking of it always seeming like the slippery slope is going one way in regard to people preying on children, we also have the unfortunate trend now where there are maps or minor attracted people as they've tried to rebrand themselves being comfortable enough to actually release photos of themselves online. Right. And I think the reason why this is now acceptable is because you have people uh, you know, like this senator who are fighting for their rights. You have an entire online community kind of forming around this type of rhetoric that seeks to co-opt the language being used by like LGBT activists to say like, no, it's just a sexual orientation. You know, love is love. We can't help the way we're born and that kind of stuff. And it's it's frankly scary. We have this piece um, from the Post Millennial written by Blair White. She did do an accompanying video. If you haven't seen it yet or you're not subscribed to her, check it out. It's really great. So we have this person who says, F it, I have nothing to lose. Map pride, hashtag map, hashtag map rights, hashtag map acceptance. And you know what? This is an ad hominem. I, I completely accept that. But I'm not surprised to learn this person is a pedophile. Just like looking at their face, I'm like, yeah. And not to mention he's in front of the pedophile flag 
which is like their own attempt to have like a, a rainbow thing going yeah. on. And uh, we also have it is, it is weird though how that's a thing how like so many people that are pedophiles look exactly like it. I, I actually I would like to see that scientifically studied at this point because mm-hmm. it's it's disconcerting, it's alarming, and it's I feel like sometimes I'm getting I'm getting to the point where it's like I look at some people and I'm like. I don't know. I don't trust this man. Yeah. You know? But uh, there was that pedophile documentary that was on Amazon Prime that we did a video about. Yep. And they've actually done studies. And there are, like, physical traits that kind of link pedophiles together. I think they tend to be overwhelmingly shorter, kind of left-handed. Um, IQ tends to be lower as well. Like, there are actually... I mean, I would love to see some more research on it. But it seems yeah. like there is there is something about it. It's not just being mean to pedophiles, which, by the way, in and of itself, I have no problem with. I say go for it. But next we have this, I think it's a woman. Um, It's hard to tell nowadays, red hair, those typical glasses. Like I see those type of glasses and I immediately know what your political views are. Mm, Like it's scary how accurate a predictor it is. But yeah, so she has her face out there. I think uh, Blair said her social media account is now deactivated, but she had previously posted that her age of attraction or AOA, by the way, if you ever see that on social media, like block the person, get out of there, you're not in a good place. It says her AOA is two to 12. And she says, so if you're older than that, you shouldn't fear anything. Isn't that a really good way to promote your cause? Yeah. If you're within the ages of 2 to 12, you have something to fear from me. Yeah, just like instilling fear in little children because you plan on preying on them. It's amazing. I don't know why more people aren't open uh, to these folks having rights. But there you go. In regard to the California story, I'm, I'm pretty sure that bill will pass. It seems like anything crazy is passing California nowadays. I just... I don't know if if you are a young person, regardless of gender or orientation, California. I guess watch out because. Yeah. Uh, I will say we did predict this. This this is something that we we said has been coming for a while, which is the slow acceptance of maps into the LGBT. I know in the past we've covered it, mm-hmm. and there are plenty of LGBT people who said this is disgusting. Right, it's not and there's of us. still a lot of them who say that. And there are still lots of them that say that. You're right, but. It's happening, buddy. Trust yeah. me. It's going to keep coming and you're eventually going to bend the knee because you already have. So um, this is just the beginning for this kind of thing, I suspect, um, especially in California and other states. I suspect this wouldn't pass so quickly. Yeah. Um, what can I say? Don't live in California. Yeah. If that wasn't already clear enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so next up, we're going to be talking about just the latest female professor to have been presenting as African-American be revealed to be white. That was a really confusing sentence. I don't know if that even makes sense, but Rachel Dolezal 2.0, pretty much. A female Sean King is what we were talking about today. Mm -hmm. So we have this piece by The Guardian that kind of lays everything out. It says, white U.S. professor Jessica Krug admits she has pretended to be black. It says, a seasoned activist and professor of African-American history at George Washington University has been pretending to be black for years, despite actually being a white woman from Kansas City. In a case eerily reminiscent to Rachel Dolezal, Jessica A. Krug took financial support from cultural institutions such as the Schoenberg Center for Research in Black Culture for a book she wrote about fugitive resistance to the transatlantic slave trade. But according to a Medium post allegedly written by Krug herself, her career was rooted in a, quote, toxic soil of lies. And we have this 
excerpt from the post that she allegedly wrote. It says, to an escalating degree over my adult life, I have eschewed my lived experience as a white Jewish child in suburban Kansas City under various assumed identities within a blackness that I had no right to claim. First, North African blackness, then US-rooted blackness, then Caribbean-rooted Bronx blackness, she wrote. So it's not just that she was pretending to be black, but it seems like as she evolved, she kind of played around and jumped from different types of black identity, but always keeping within a different type of black identity. It's just confusing to me how this is like, this is a trend at this point, I feel like we can safely say. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, um, she does say that she is experiencing some kind of mental illness or has, right? Yeah. Um, So there's part of me that doesn't want to really jump on ad hominems here. But at the same time, I think that we cover this sort of in gender dysphoria as well, that there are certain things that people that have the propensity, uh, let's say people have a propensity for mental illness back in the day might have been cutting is one thing they did. Mm-hmm. But now today, girls overwhelmingly go towards gender dysphoria. I think that this is also going to be a similar case. Where we're going to have a lot more white people uh, that do have a mental disorder uh, opting for something that Being is transracial, transracial, because it is, in a sense, um, a stylistic thing of our time. Right. Right. It is something that is it's it's it's, it's almost trendy as a mental illness now. Mm-hmm. And you you can't really be surprised when this stuff happens. I mean, you have an entire movement that demonizes white people, mm-hmm. uh, claims to lift up black voices and says that, you know, black pride is beautiful and all of these things. I don't think we should be shocked when eventually a white person says, ooh. I want some of that. I want some of that attention. I want some of that glorification. I want to be on the right side of history. All of that stuff. We have more from the Guardian piece and uh, Krug's essay. Before we do, though, I just want to give a quick plug quick plug to our very own blaze tv website so of course you may know by now that if you did want to go the extra mile to support the show and help us keep the lights on over here you can of course head on over to blaze tv.com slash lauren subscribe using the code lauren to save money on that subscription not only do you help support us but you also get a ton of other great shows to watch but now we actually have an exclusive film that has come to blaze tv which subscribers are able to watch a little bit about it how much have the bidens been compromised by the chinese communist regime a lot of people may be wondering find out in the bombshell documentary riding the dragon exclusive to blaze tv from the directors behind the explosive clinton cash there's a new revealing documentary showing how for decades the biden family has used joe biden's public service to line their own pockets but the alarming scandal is much deeper than a public official's corruption riding the dragon reveals how and why the chinese communist party gave joe's son private equity firm a sweetheart deal worth in excess of a billion dollars become a blaze tv subscriber and watch the documentary in its entirety start your free trial today and save 20 dollars off a one-year subscription with the code dragon 20 you won't want to miss this i feel like there are so many like corrupt politicians out there just getting like million dollar deals billion dollars deals like are we the only people who are not millionaires in politics i, I really wonder this like how, where are all of these like corrupt russian people just offering millions of dollars i would love to know please someone tell me <laughs> Uh, But back to this transracial mess. 
The article continues, in Krug's book, Fugitive Modernities, published before her confession, she writes in her acknowledgments, my ancestors, unknown, unnamed, who bled life into a future they had no reason to believe could or should exist, my brother, the fastest, the smartest, the most charming of us all, those whose names I cannot say for their own safety, whether in my barrio, in Angola, or in Brazil. And Krug also went by the name Jessica La Bombalera in an activist circles and could be seen speaking in a New York City public hearing on police brutality in June. So before we go into what she said at that hearing, she really is leaning into this like victim, mm. like my ancestors, my barrio. She's yeah, going full in that on was, it. That's mega cringe. Yeah. Really like, like that's, that actually, I had trouble reading that. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. Secondhand embarrassment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially like now that I see pictures of her too, it's like, oof. She's clearly It's not white. even close. Yeah, not it's even not even close. close. And I know like speaking as someone who is biracial, it always does kind of bother me when people say, oh, you're not really Chinese because you don't look Chinese enough. Like, yeah. you know, that is a thing. But this, she is like paper sheet white kind of like yeah. just yeah i mean like with rachel dolezal i think she made the attempt to kind of use fake tanner and i think she at one point did a, a perm and stuff in order to try and lean into at least trying to aesthetically look more like she had african heritage but i don't think this woman just i don't know <laughs> i don't think she made the the same commitment to it but she's reported as having said i'm jessa bombalera i'm here in el barrio east Hile is east harlem you probably have heard about it because you sold my effing neighborhood to developers and gentrifiers she began as she introduced herself a few moments later she added i want to call out all those white new yorkers new yorkers who waited for hours with us to be able to speak and then did not yield their time for black and brown indigenous new yorkers krug alludes in her medium post to a childhood and mental health issues like you mentioned but says she does not believe they can be used to excuse her behavior and this is like i kind of want to touch on this wouldn't it doesn't it make sense that essentially anyone who would even want or attempt to do this would naturally have mental health issues like where's that line between just wanting attention and being kind of a grifter versus legitimate mental health issues because like yeah. would you say that for example, Sean King, who, because I don't want to get sued, I will say, has been alleged to be actually white. Like, would you say that he has mental health issues, that Rachel Dolezal has mental health issues? Um, no, I, I think it really does depend case by case. There are things yeah. like that where I think you're actually convincing yourself of the lie. Uh, and that might that might start straightening out. Oh yeah, the where you believe health. it right. yourself, right? Uh, which she almost sounds like she really did, but I, I don't know. But someone that's straight up grifting because it's economically advantageous, that yeah. doesn't seem like an act of insanity to me. That seems convenient. That seems very methodical, uh, maybe even uh, money wise. Yeah. Frankly, um, uh, albeit morally depraved, but right. Um, yeah, I don't think that they're all necessarily uh, mentally ill is what I would say. Mm -hmm. This woman might be and she's certainly claiming to be. Uh, and, you know, it's important to not, you know, I, like I said, I want to avoid the ad hominems when it comes to that kind of thing, because, um, you know, mental health is important and not always the fault of the person. And I hope that she does get the help that she needs um, if if this is true, right? Right. Well, I mean, that's definitely a very sympathetic approach, which I appreciate. But I will just point out that a lot of people who were formerly in her inner circle, they have been less forgiving. The, the reason why um, 
crew came out in her medium post is actually white. She doesn't actually mention the what the catalyst, the catalyst was is, yeah. for that. But at least according to this person, Dr. Yofigi on Twitter, who claims to know Jessica in real life, she posted, the only reason Jessica Krug finally admitted to this lie is because on August 26th, one very brave black Latina junior scholar approached two senior black Latina scholars and trusted them enough to do the research and back her up. Those two scholars made phone calls and reached out to other senior scholars and institutions with proof. There was no witch hunt, but there was a need to draw the line. Krug got ahead of the story because she was caught and she knew the clock was ticking because folks started to confront her and ask questions. Do not believe for one second that she would have come out with the truth on her own. She made a living and a whole life out of parroting black Puerto Rican trauma and survival as a Black Rican, I am pissed. The other thing is that, let historians tell it, her work is actually good, Chick is smart, so why lie? Well, I mean, it's easy for her to say that, and again, I'm not I'm not condoning anything this person has done pretending to be a different race for her entire career, but you can't deny that in these social justice left-wing circles, the work of a white person writing against um, you know, black issues or Caribbean issues is not going to be treated with the same respect as an actual African or black person yeah. writing on those same issues. As we saw with American Dirt, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a little bit, I think, disingenuous for this person to ask why do it. Like, it's pretty clear what the what yeah. the benefits would be for this person doing it. Um, but I think she is right. Uh, this poster and saying that she carved an entire identity out of this and actually Krug herself admits it in that medium post. We have this excerpt. It says, I have no identity outside of this. I have never developed one. I have to figure out how to be a person that I don't believe should exist. What? That's that's kind of that's Oof. that's not safe. And how as that person to even begin to heal any of the harm that I've caused. She says, I have not lived a double life. There is no parallel form of my adulthood connected to white people or a white community or an alternative white identity. I have lived this life fully, completely with no exit plan or strategy. I have built only this life, a life within which I have operated with a radical sense of ethics, (laughs) of right and wrong, and with rage rooted in black power, an ideology which every person Mm. should support. Actually, one thing I did want to note that was in her Medium post was a quote that came out just before she claimed about mental health, uh, where she says, intention never matters more than impact. Mm. And that is something that I thought of when she brought up that I have a radical sense of ethics, because that is, uh, again, we see this often with the left, straight utilitarianism. Yeah. That's straight utilitarianism, that there's no other way around it. She The ends justifies the means kind of thing. In one sentence, she destroyed all of Kant's work. Yeah. Um, So... Yeah, I do think that she's radical, and I do think that that's actually fundamentally anti-Christian and and actually just anti-Western. I mean, I think she would consider that a compliment. Yeah, no, I I agree, Um, and I I just think that it's um, an indicator as to how even even the stuff that she espouses, just how obviously uh, alien it is for people that are rational. That's all I can say. No, definitely, and so. This is kind of just all coming out as we are filming this. So as of right now, I'm not sure what's happened to her work at the university, whether she's been fired and all that, like what's going to happen with her position. It's going to be interesting to see because, I mean, it's not explicitly, as far as I can tell, disallowed in any major institution to pretend to be (laughs) another race or not to claim identity. And even in the UK, we have seen um, that there are universities now that rely entirely on self-identification when it comes to things like claiming minority status. So, I mean, I I don't even... Yeah, actually, my school does that. Yeah. Actually, self-identified native 
identification, I think, was the program. Yeah. So I was like, I don't even know what uh, what's in place for this. I guess we'll we'll see how it unfolds. But I would not be surprised if this becomes a new theme. Like we start seeing this more and more often as white people continue to be demonized in the left and more and more white people are like, you know what? F this whiteness. I want to I want to do something trendy and yeah. uh, more melanated. OK, but our next story this is probably going to be a little bit of a a little bit of a hard one to get through just because it's there's a lot of violence and it's it's right at the forefront of the news right now. This is all fresh. Right. But the Antifa, well sorry, I keep saying that. Someone killed a Trump supporter and I think it was Portland. And he claims to be 100% anti-fascist, but he has denied being an active member of Antifa as a group. And I just want to I just want to clarify that. But the latest news is that he was actually recently killed in a confrontation with police when they tried to arrest him for the shooting that he was involved in. We have this article from the New York Times. It says law enforcement agents shot and killed an Antifa supporter on Thursday as they moved to arrest him in the fatal shooting of a right-wing activist who was part of a pro-Trump caravan in Portland, Oregon, officials said. The suspect, Michael Forrest Raynal, 48, was shot by officers from a federally-led fugitive task force during the encounter in Washington state, according to the U.S. Marshals Service. Initial reports indicate the suspect produced a firearm threatening the lives of law enforcement officers, the Marshals service said in a statement task force members responded to the threat and struck the suspect who was pronounced dead at the scene so that's like a pretty that was a pretty surprising development i was not expecting yeah that. me too that was that was quite the plot twist yeah for sure and i mean what the reason why i especially wanted to talk about this um i never want to make light of any death regardless of who it is it's always you know something that's very serious but yes. i yep. i do think it's interesting to compare how the left was treating and i would i'll say far left was treating um Michael Rainhole, who claims that he shot the Trump supporter in self-defense versus how they by and large treat cops and Kyle Rittenhouse, Kyle Rittenhouse yeah. who also claimed to have, you know, been forced to act in self-defense because once this was announced, there were a lot of left-wing activists who were sympathizing with, um, what's his name? Michael, Rainhole. how do you say that? Raynal, Raynal? I, I want to say, yeah. Okay, sorry if that's wrong. Um, I saw posts saying rest in power, Michael Raynal, like, Antifa loves you and like all of these very supportive statements. Mm -hmm. But I mean, if if we think about it, his excuse for doing what he did, which, by the way, I don't think was justified, but we'll go into that in a second. The, the idea that you committed violence on someone out of fear for your own life, that is exactly what so many cops who they protest actually have to deal with every day. And that's exactly what Kyle Rittenhouse had to deal with. And they called him a domestic terrorist, a white supremacist and all of this thing. So it seems like there's no objective standard for what's right, what's wrong. It's just who's ever on my team and hurts people I don't like. Yeah, yeah. And to take a moment, I, I do want to point out that we on the right do the same thing a lot of times. Uh, I happen to think that in this case, Kyle Rittenhouse was more clearly self-defense than what Raynal did here. Yeah. And I think that the way in which their arrests went, I mean, they both actually, there's a lot of comparisons. They both fled the state technically, mm -hmm. right? Um, but the way in which they were arrested where one of them, you know, willingly uh, submitted to the police and the other one- Clearly did not. Um, yeah, basically pled guilty. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, you know, I, I, I tend to think that these cases are different, uh, mm -hmm. but at the same time, you always have to be aware, I guess, that you're not just, you know, conservative ink, always buying the plat, the, you know, your your side's narrative. Be a little bit critical because we want to be objective, right? right. That's what but we want to I mean, be on this to show. that end, I do want to say we're not going to be including the actual clip of the shooting here. Yeah. 
just because like YouTube is really cracking down on stuff like and that. And you don't need to see the violence either. Yeah, frankly. it was. I mean, I know I when I watched it for the first time, I didn't really know what I was seeing. And then, yeah. you know, when I realized like, oh, this is someone getting shot in the head. I was like, wow, I kind of do wish I hadn't seen that. But, uh, you know, there's a moment where we hear someone. It, I think it's uh, Raynal saying uh, we have one here or something like that. Yeah. And then it looks like the he very quickly approaches that the Patriot prayer guy i think he tries to mace Raynal at that mm -hmm. point and then he's shot in the head so it, it all happens very very quickly um but it, it is unfortunate to see i think if if you are willing to believe that he acted in self-defense though you got to be willing to give the self-defense argument to kyle rittenhouse yeah, because i, I don't see how you can say you know oh yeah that split second where you actually confronted the other guy yelling hey we got one here that's self-defense but you know kyle actually running from people who are kicking him and hitting him with a skateboard that's not self-defense i i don't buy that um, but actually speaking of the left kind of creating this martyr status for Reynold, we have mm -hmm. this it says after the shooting several hundred protesters in portland gathered in front of a police station in a residential neighborhood chanting racial justice slogans as they have on most nights since may although the me the mood shortly before midnight was relatively calm i just want to say this like Michael Raynal, this guy was a white guy. Yep. Person he killed, another white guy. Same thing with Kyle Rittenhouse. Mm -hmm. White guy who, I, white Hispanic, I've heard someone claim he is like, whatever, for all Let's intents and purposes. Games, yeah. Right? White guy, he killed two white guys, shot another white guy. This is not a race war, right? This, I mean, it's not. I know people mm -hmm. want to kind of hype it up to be that, but no, this is like, this is just a war of the far left versus it seems like everyone else. And I think like trying to tie in racial justice to this, like these people are trying to make it seem more literally black and white than it is. Yeah. And, and honestly, you can do no wrong yeah. if, if you're on the left right now and you do like, you can break every law you want. You can force the police to use violence against you and you will be made a martyr today. Yeah, no, definitely. And to that end, um, there were people chanting, there's blood on your hands. You murdered Michael Raynal. Uh, someone had posted in the street outside a law enforcement building. Michael was murdered, said another posting. So it's like, wait, you can accept that Michael Raynal acted in self-defense, but the cops who were trying to arrest him when he pulled out a gun and started threatening them all. That's not self-defense. Like, again, like there is this just this huge double standard. It says later in the evening, police officers charged the crowd and took one person into custody. As part of the protesters' security team during the demonstrations, Mr. Reynolds' role included intercepting potential agitators and helping calm conflicts. Fellow protesters said there's some irony there. Like, if you've mm -hmm. seen the actual clip, it really does look like things were calm. Nothing was happening. It's not like there was this group of people. Things were getting heated. No, no. Things were calm. It looked like Reynold kind of ran onto the scene, ran toward that Patriot prayer guy. Yeah. And it's only then that violence escalated. True. So it continues. Nightly, he would break up fights, said Randall McCorkle, a regular at the demonstrations, who said he became close friends with Mr. Reynold as they were on. He wanted change so badly, he said. His death, he said, would likely inspire others to continue the movement for police reform. I was going to say radicalize, but galvanize is a better word, he said. Honestly, I'm going to try to step in to his shoes. That's concerning. Reese Monson, a leader in the local protest movement who also helps organize security, said all the people who helped with security in Portland, including Mr. Reynal, were trained on de-escalation. He was excellent at that, Mr. Monson said. So, I mean, again, this is kind of concerning because it seems like everyone who was in his, like, inner circle, who was attending these protests, they really don't see anything wrong with how that event went down, it seems. Like, they have nothing bad to say about this guy. He was great at de-escalation and breaking up fights. He was yeah, actually a peacemaker. More than that, he's a role model, right? Yeah. They want to fill it. They want to step into his shoes. 
as somebody who was de-escalating conflict the way he was. I mean, I guess one way to de-escalate conflict is just to completely end it instantly with a, right. with a gunshot. Yeah. But it really doesn't look like there's any sense of reflection. And this was an interesting piece that I saw a lot of people sharing. So the estranged sister of this gunman, uh, Raynal, she actually spoke with the Daily Mail recently. And she didn't have such kind things to say about her brother. And mm -hmm. I want to mention this not just because... Like, I know in politics and stuff, it's always like a really a, a terrible headline where it's like, oh, this person's sibling condemns them or this person's niece. Yeah. We saw this with the whole, uh, was it Mary Trump fiasco? She doesn't yes, like her yeah, uncle. And, yeah. you know, apparently that's proof that he's a terrible person. I do want to point out these these people were estranged. It's not like it's not a secret that they weren't close, this brother and this sister. And she admits as much, too. Exactly. But I, I, I wanted to include this because I think it's interesting to get the perspective of someone who knew him but wasn't a member of this far left group, right? Because, you know, for some objectivity, for someone who's not all in on the fascists are everywhere, what would she think of what he did? And it's, she, she doesn't have a positive view of it. She said, it says, April told the Daily Mail she believed her brother would have tried to fight with federal officers sent to catch him fleeing to the small town 120 miles north of Portland. I wouldn't be surprised if he reacted badly to a situation, just like he reacted badly to the situation at the riots, she said. He always acted impulsively, letting the worst emotions guide his actions, and then he tried to rationalize it afterwards. So I'm not surprised he got himself killed. I'm surprised a police officer did it. Apparently, she goes on in the interview to say that she expected the violence or, you know, his death to come from the hands of, like, some far-right group hmm. that was out for his blood. She says, I've been saying to people for a while, if he doesn't turn himself in, he's going to get himself killed. So she doesn't have such a rosy picture of her brother. But again, like, I do want to say they're estranged yeah. and, you know, take everything with a grain of salt. And if he is impulsive, like she claims, you can easily see why someone like that with a gun and a riot would... Be quick to pull the trigger. Have a have an inchy finger, you know. Yeah, exactly. So. And I mean, all of these instances of violence, whether it's you know this case in Portland or what happened in Kenosha with Kyle, it just it just screams to me that there's a reason why police exist, right? Oh, and yeah. there's there's a place in society for people who are trained, actually trained in this type of thing. So we don't have people who feel like uh, you know. With this interview, it reveals that apparently Antifa has their own like protective services who they say are trained in de-escalation. I don't see much de-escalation going on with Antifa pretty much ever, but it's like, you know, this is why cops shouldn't just stand by and watch as these riots and violent protests continue to happen. Because, I mean, this is their job to make sure this doesn't happen. It is their job to protect these people. And it's like, I feel like it's a real shortcoming. Maybe not on behalf of the individual officers, but, you know, the local town authorities and general mayors and maybe sometimes even, you know, police chiefs. It is really disappointing. Um, moving on, though, one of the things that I think really made this shocking, in my opinion, was the fact that when the news broke that uh, Michael had been shot, he had actually just spoken with Vice, with Vice News. Yeah. Um, so it was might have helped of, actually locate him, I wonder. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. And it was kind of eerie to me because, you know, one minute I'm watching this person give an interview and the next I see the headline that he's dead. Yeah. And it really... I don't know, it kind of drives home how immediate so much of the stuff is and how final everything is. But uh, we have some clips here that I want to watch of Michael himself speaking. I think it's important for context. Before we do, though, I just want to say I never want to get any flack for interviewing, quote, controversial figures. They interviewed like an actual gunman yes. who was like, so I don't want to hear like, oh, how dare you platform? He like murdered somebody on camera. 
and Vice still spoke to him. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying they shouldn't have spoken to him. I actually thought this was enlightening. I, I thought this was interesting. I actually wanted to hear what he had to say, but it's like, can we calm down with the guilt by association? We're, we're actually speaking to someone who shot another person in the head. I used to really love this country and I respected the flag and everything that it represented. But because of all this, every time I see a big truck, especially with a flag on it, I immediately think that they're out to get me. There were 600 vehicles who knows how many were rolling through downtown. But like I said, when I showed up, I saw more of their vehicles than real citizen vehicles. It, 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 it's, it felt like the beginning of a war. So right there, I think it's pretty clear this guy has been radicalized, right? He mm -hmm. just sees a truck with flags and immediately thinks that he's in danger. Yeah. That's not what a like a rational person says no i would have thought i would have thought he would have said like told the party line and said i immediately thought that, that that black people near me were in danger yeah right but no he's actually worried for his own safety i don't mm -hmm. i don't think there's much logic to what he's saying no um yeah i, I actually I, I was kind of interested in that situation what do you think about the the group of patriots that went through portland in their trucks with flags do you think that that was an escalation because I had one of my friends saying that's that's like an escalation move almost, and I've had other friends saying no, it's a good display of strength and unity. What do you think? I mean, this guy clearly agrees that it was an escalation, that it yeah. was a threat of force. You see him saying like, I was worried there were more of their cars than our cars. Like if you watch the full interview, which you can find on Vice News's YouTube channel, you see him saying like, uh, you know, there were six hundred trucks. I was worried. I called my friends. Um, there is nothing wrong with a caravan, right, with flags. And to say that simply waving an American flag or having the flag or a flag supporting the sitting president is a move of escalation or provocation, I think that is completely ridiculous. Like, and I, I saw some people saying, oh, well, police shouldn't have let them go through downtown Portland. Like, why? Because Portland is a leftist stronghold, therefore Trump supporters or anyone conservative just needs to keep out? No. Absolutely not. And like, we, we would never ask that of Antifa. We would never say that like, oh, well, you know, Antifa was going through this city with Black Lives Matter flags. Well, they were just asking for it. Like people yeah. on the right would never say that, but that is exactly the type of rhetoric that is levied against people who are conservative. And I think it's, I think it's ridiculous personally. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. I think it's interesting because it, it does really go to show how, how much of a struggle it is for the two sides of the political spectrum right now to live in a similar space. Mm -hmm. You drove, you drive through Portland and people think you're going to war. Yeah. Right. Uh, and you know, frankly, if I'm, I don't really want to be living in cities that have large Antifa groups. I'm, no. not, I'm not saying they deserve no. violence or it's an act of, or like I need to go to war with them, but I am saying I'm, I'd rather we live in separate states. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And actually, even in um in Montreal, like, by the way, Antifa is worldwide. You have really nasty black bloc uh, places like Germany. But in Montreal, um, there is Antifa and, you know, calls for defunding the police, Black Lives Matter, yeah. uh, toppling statues. That's already ha started happening where we live. And I like watching local news. I'm starting actually to get concerned and I, I want out. And it's because of stuff like this. I hope it doesn't escalate to that level over here. But I'm I don't want to wait to find out is what I'm saying. Totally justified. Had I not acted, I am confident that my friend and I'm sure I would have been killed because I wasn't going to stand there and let something happen. What they've done is they're trying to make it look like we're all terrorists and they're trying to make me look like a murderer. So it seems like at least the way this guy is portraying himself 
or was portraying himself because he is now dead, he believes he acted in self-defense. But I've got to say, like, if merely driving a truck with a flag is enough to make this guy feel threatened, then frankly, I have a, I have a hard time accepting his evaluation of the situation. Yeah, that's a good point. He definitely seems like he was fighting some imagined demons. Yeah, for sure. And just he seemed really willing to make himself into a martyr. And I think that honestly is why the situation with the cops ended the way that it did. I mean, yeah, I, I wasn't there and like, I don't know what his mental health state is is was at at the time but i wouldn't be surprised if he did see that as kind of like a way to almost suicide by cop in a way to he sends out a final message sort of thing and then uh yeah do it you know what i would really like to see then in that case i would like i would hope that those cops had body cams on yeah so that his message is destroyed you know his his propaganda his his fake martyrdom Mm -hmm. gets brought to light as somebody who tried to uh get into a violent altercation with police. Yeah, but I, I mean, I have to say that for the most committed leftists and like Antifa members, that's not going to matter. No, it won't yeah. matter, but it does matter for for like the middle public. Yeah, I, I agree. A lot of people don't understand what Antifa represents. And if you just look at the, the basic definition of it, it's just anti-fascist. And I am 100% anti-fascist. I'm not a member of Antifa. I'm not a member of anything. Honestly, I hate to say it, but I see a civil war right around the corner. That shot felt like the beginning of a war. I kind of do think that he knew maybe what he was doing when he was struggling and threatening those cops. I think he likes to see him. He liked to see himself as a martyr in the situation. And I also want to say that this person claims to not have been a member of Antifa. But if you read the New York Times report, at least he was in with a lot of people who were regular attendees of these protests he had an actual role within these protests so maybe we kind of get down into the weeds of what exactly does being a member of antifa mean he clearly supported their cause so well why would he claim to be an antifa member if he was an antifa member it's not politically expedient for him to do that at this moment right right? like it wouldn't be good for antifa to be labeled with him yeah exactly so if he was a member of antifa he wasn't going to say it anyways this is a very you know, common thing that a terrorist would do. You know, if it's if it's politically advantageous, they'll say it's part of their their terror regime or whatever, like the Taliban claiming yeah. uh, attacks in Europe. And if it's not, then they'll deny it. So right. who cares? I don't I don't care what he has to say. He was clearly working in a very similar realm as they were, and his ideology was very similar. And the way these organizations work, anyways, just seems to imply that yeah, he's probably part of them or if not might as well be okay so next up let's talk about woke disney it's no surprise that disney along with pretty much every major studio right now much to my dismay it's they've embraced wokeness and it's not necessarily that i think you know the head honchos the ceos the people who are cutting all the checks believe in that ideology but i do think a lot of creatives are sympathetic to that and i think there are people genuinely out there who think yeah this is actually a good way to make money because people agree with this even though as we're seeing more and more when these films fail that's not necessarily the case so we have a new interview here from john boyega where he kind of he kind of decimates the idea that Disney is anything but a corporation who makes decisions to make money, right? He completely course, dismantles yeah. the idea that they are genuinely interested in like racial justice and representation. So we're going to go over that. First, though, I do want to give a, uh, a shout out to Blaze TV on Pluto TV. So if you if you are familiar with Pluto TV, basically it's 
TV on the internet. So it's where you can stream linear feeds from places like Blaze TV and other channels. So it's become increasingly important to make sure that independent voices are heard. And this year it is more crucial than ever. And that is why we are excited to announce that we are partnered with Pluto TV to find new ways to make sure conservative voices are breaking through. Go tell your friends, your relatives, or anyone who needs to hear some sanity in an increasingly insane time. Watch Blaze TV Live, our ad-supported 24-7 limited live stream on Pluto TV channel 250 drop in for 250 plus channels of free TV plus thousands of on-demand movies and series absolutely free Pluto TV drop in it's free so go to www.plutotv or download the Pluto TV app and I just love that there are so many options now for people who want to watch this type of content they can go to Pluto TV Blaze TV you know YouTube Facebook if they decide to show our pages iTunes Spotify Google Play we're trying to be everywhere which mm -hmm. I think is important so we have this piece from the post-millennial. It says, do not bring out a black character, market them to be much more important in the franchise than they are, and then have them push to the side. John Boyega, who played Finn in the latest Star Wars installments, told protesters in London this summer. So to clarify, hmm. Liam has not seen these movies, right? Uh, I saw the first one that he was in. Okay, so The Which... Force Awakens. I saw The Force Awakens. Yeah. Um, I think that that was the one, too, of I'm not mistaken. You, you could correct me on this, though. Um, where, like, in the American and European versions, like, he's got a central position on their posters. Yes. But in China, he's a little bit more of a backdrop. Yeah. If, if he's even on there at all, I'm not even certain of that. I wouldn't be surprised if that were, were the case for literally all of yeah. the, yeah, all yeah. of the posters for all three films. Because, and this is what we're going to talk about more in this segment. The thing with Disney is... It really is just woke corporatism, right? There's not actually any backbone behind it. And we can see this in the way that, yeah, when it comes to a Western audience who's all about that racial representation, they're like, yeah, look at this black character we have, so awesome. When it comes to China, it's like, black character? Well, there's no black character. Come watch some white people. Uh, it's also a similar case what they did with the, uh, like the little lesbian kiss they had in, I think, the final film. It was like this supposedly big moment. It was just like a couple seconds at the end. There was a lesbian kiss by some like unnamed characters, you know, oh. which they were very proud of in Western markets. But I'm, I think it did end up getting cut entirely when it was being shown uh, to some international markets. I, what can I say? I, I hate movies. Yeah. That's all I have to say. Sorry. Yeah. So it continues. During the press of The Force Awakens, I went along with it, he notes. And obviously at the time, I was very genuinely happy to be a part of it. But my dad always tells me one thing. Don't overpay with respect. You can pay respect, but sometimes you'll be overpaying and selling yourself short. You get yourself involved in projects and you're not necessarily going to like everything. But what I would say to Disney is do not bring out a black character. And then that's the quote we've already seen, market them be much more and then push them to the side. It's not good. I'll say it straight up. Like you guys knew what to do with Daisy Ridley. You knew what to do with Adam Driver, he says. Those are the actors who play uh, Ray and what's his name? Oh my gosh. The bad guy who's kind of like Sulky the good guy. Boy. Yeah, Sulky Boy. Gosh, you know what's his name? Kylo Ren. Yeah, Kylo Ren. There Why do go. I know that not you, Lauren? I am sorry. I, I tried to block it out. It says, you knew what to do with these other people, but when it came to Kelly Marie Tran, who played Rose Tico, when it came to John Boyega, Okay, he's speaking to himself in third person, kind of weird. You know F all. So what do you want me to say? 
What they want you to say is, I enjoyed being a part of it. It was a great experience. Nah, 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 nah. I'll take that deal when it's a great experience. They gave all the nuance to Adam Driver, all the nuance to Daisy Ridley. Let's be honest. Daisy knows this. Adam knows this. Everybody knows this. I'm not exposing anything. So I will disagree with him there that they knew what to do with Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver. <laughs> I disagree that they knew what to do with anything with yeah, that trilogy. That was, I mean, I watched the first one of both the two series. I yeah. Think. You haven't even seen the prequels all the way through? No, no, no. I've seen the prequels. I've seen the original three and the three prequels. And I saw they had two simultaneous new Star Wars series, right? Like, well, I guess one of them had was like the Force Awakens and had like the Jedi thing. And then I think there was a second one, right? There was two different. Well, there was Force. uh, There's Force Awakens and there there was Rogue One, which was a standalone prequel. I saw Rogue One. Okay. So I saw those two movies. Uh, they're both hot garbage. I Sorry. thought Rogue One. I know, I know some people defend Rogue One. And apparently it is one of the best of the new ones. Yeah, I would say um, so. Very mediocre. That's yeah. my opinion of it. So none of them were worth it in my opinion. I didn't really watch them. Um, and actually, I, I don't agree with anything this guy said here. He was perfectly happy to take the money and do the acting when it, when it was his turn to do the job. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, voice that stuff then. But yeah. now you come out after you've been paid. After, and after your contract is done. Yeah, exactly. And you start You've enjoyed the star power. Yeah, exactly. Maybe he was envisioning he would get more star power. Because, yeah. you know, frankly, if you're put in a Disney film in that way, and it does seem promising, the sky is the limit. But I didn't know who John Boyega was before this. Mm-hmm. And I know of him now. And I'm like, I've got my head in the sand when it comes to media. So it has worked out quite well for him. And to see him behave this way, I think, is uh, pretty lame. That's mm-hmm. what I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I do agree with that. I think he's he's making it out to be worse than it kind of was yeah. in a sense. And I do think that if he had all of these opinions now, why not voice them at the time or, exactly. or anything like that? But I mean, I, I will say I don't think Disney is completely innocent here. I think there is a little bit of truth to what he was saying about I think Disney wanted to present the new trilogy as this like woke 2020 diverse version Mm -hmm. of Star Wars where we got the black guy, we got the Asian chick, look at us go. Uh, But when it came to writing, they did kind of fall short of that. Finn was essentially relegated to this meaningless secondary character who had a crush on Rey and was just following her around. Like nothing really meaningful came out of his story arc. I don't I wouldn't say that was because Disney was racist, though. I think it was just really bad writing all around. I believe that. Yeah. I think a lot of people are happy, including me to some degree, to see him, you know, railing against Disney the way he is right now. But that's just because I like to watch Disney burn. Yes. I don't, like, nothing that he really says do I agree with. Because a lot of it is also coming from, like, a racial position. A woke perspective, Like, he's he's bringing up his race in there for sure. If you don't know, this guy also gave a speech at BLM rallies post-Floyd. Yeah. Um, So this guy is very much uh, not someone that I agree with on. And what he's saying, like I said before, from a business and professional perspective, I also think is, uh, you know, lame and and definitely unprofessional and and frankly if i were in the movie business i would be reluctant to hire somebody that does that to you yeah i mean it's not a good look no matter what your industry is to bad mouth your previous employers so publicly yeah exactly when by all accounts they've given you a pretty good role and definitely probably i would say good pay but i i kind of enjoy seeing a disney be criticized as well which is so sad for me because i love classic disney and liam knows this like all of the classic cartoons the animated movies i really really love i love disney world and land still i still want to brings me there she still gets sad if i don't wear the mickey mouse ears yes i love it um i love it all she's very whimsical yeah i do i really do but uh, like 
in my head, that classic Disney that was so wholesome is very like antithetical to this new woke version yeah. of Disney yeah, that right. like puts out Black is King and funds a Colin Kaepernick documentary. And it's it's kind of disappointing, yeah. but I guess it just goes to show like don't try to prescribe companies with morals because they don't have any. They don't have any. No, and that's the thing is uh, particularly when they're trying to when this corporatist movement is yeah. trying to appease you know, these kinds of moral institutions like the critical race theorists and what have you, they're inevitably going to get burned. Mm -hmm. Like, there might be some short-term gains by appeasing them, right? But it's that's a snake that eats itself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is such a self-contradicting movement that you can't do anything correctly mm -hmm. in their mind. So, yeah, I think that there probably was some good capitalist reason to do these things in the sense of I can make an immediate profit off some of these things. Probably for the first Star Wars movie, I bet you that the um, the box office was pretty good. Yeah. Right. And then people quickly realize, oh, the writing is garbage. Yeah. And, you know, the virtue signaling just doesn't carry far enough. And that's what it will be if you continue down this path. And, that, you know, it's I'm not quite on the get woke, go, go woke, get broke train because I think that a lot of businesses have survived by getting woke. Mm -hmm. But I think in the long term, that will be what happens. Yeah, especially when you take wokeness and embrace it at the expense of good writing, yes, which is yeah. what Disney has done. And actually, yeah. to that point, um, they have another film coming out now that's also experiencing some controversy, and that's Mulan. So the new Mulan live-action remake, because Disney has no new ideas, so they just remake all of their old stuff with new actors and like, hey, more money. Um, so they're under a little bit of pressure right now because I really think they did this to kind of cater to the A, the Chinese market and also the B, white, woke market that just loves everything that's, I don't know, not white. Um, but what they kind of didn't foresee was the way that this would intersect with the ongoing Hong Kong protests, right? Because yeah. when you cater to China too much, you're, you're probably not doing really well on the human rights front quite frankly. So we have this again from The Guardian. It says calls to boycott Disney Disney's live action remake of Mulan have been reignited ahead of its release on Friday with Thai pro-democracy activists joining those vowing to shun the film. Controversy over Mulan erupted last year when its star Leo Yifei voiced support for police in Hong Kong who have been accused of using excessive force against protesters. In turn, Thai protesters have also backed up their peers in Hong Kong and Taiwan ahead of Mulan's release in Thailand on Friday. Nitowit, nope. nope, a Thai student activist tweeted that the comments made by Liu had not been forgotten. I invite everyone to boycott Mulan, hashtag ban Mulan, to make Disney and the Chinese government know that state violence against the people is unacceptable. Yeah, I mean, so this is what you, this is what happens when you try to pander too much to these like niche crowds, right? You're just going to yeah. end up getting hurt, Disney. And that's why I personally would say just go back to making good movies, right? Like forget all this political stuff because you're, you're getting burned at every turn. People are mad at you no matter what you do. And it's like maybe that's an argument for being apolitical and just focusing on making good content that most people will enjoy. Yeah, you don't know how like just the, the thought of apolitical media just makes me happy at this point. Same. Like just the idea that such a thing could exist. Because right now it's like everything. It's hard. Everything's it's really laden hard. with it. And uh, this is why I just, yeah, Lauren always laments that I don't go to the movie theater or anything like that. It's, you know, sorry. I uh, I have brain cells to conserve. Yeah. Very sad. Um, I think that's pretty much it for now, though. And as always, we want to say a big thank you for tuning in. But we will see you next time.